iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hello, this is the Game Podcast from The Times. Today, do you have any sympathy for Harry Kane now that he says he's staying at Spurs? Does the EFL Cup need a makeover? Mikel Antonio makes the number nine shirt his at West Ham. And Romelu Lukaku and Virgil van Dijk prepare to do battle in the Premier League. This is the game. So we're all set for another uh, busy episode of the Game Podcast. I am Hugh Wisencroft. With me today, uh, Thomas Roddy, Tom Clark, and Gregor Robertson. How are you all? Morning, Hugh. I'm devastated. Devastated this morning. Desperately sad times. For Harry Kane, I mean, just what was the point in all the upheaval and all the to and fro and all the negative headlines and people questioning you? What was it all for? Only for you to turn around and say you're staying at Spurs. I said this from the start. If you're going to force your way out, you've got to do it good and proper. Stay on the beach in Brazil or wherever you were. Don't come back. I mean, that was the worst thing you possibly could have done. doesn't matter how many years you've got left on your contract, but it will be good news for the Tottenham fans. So let's reflect positively on it. He says, I will be staying at Tottenham this summer and will be 100% focused on helping the team achieve success. Um, Does anyone else feel sorry for Harry Kane in that he's sort of stuck, isn't he, at at Tottenham Hotspur as far as I'm concerned? Uh, Tom, I I know you've written a good piece on this in the Times. What do you think of Kane's situation? I think uh, I do feel an element of sympathy, um, but more more uh, at the way in which Kane was clearly made promises by Manchester City uh, about what was going to happen this summer. And they just never materialised. It was the whole way along, it's kind of been up to Kane to make all these moves. And it's it was it was never going to end well. Um, you know, Daniel Levy had his valuation and City never even got near it. Um, I think the crucial week to me was the first week of August because even though it was yesterday that Kane's statement sort of finally put a full stop on uh, what was happening this summer, really all parties pretty much knew by then what was going to happen. Guardiola and his coaches thought, you know, there was a slim chance that this was ever going to happen. Kane, um, but Kane was, that was when he was still on holiday and he was meant to be returning to to Tottenham for pre-season. So I think that was the, the crucial week in what happened here because as City sort of backed out of the situation, Kane really made it clear that what he was doing by taking sort of drastic action, it was he sort of hit the nuclear button with Tottenham um, by not returning. And the problem now is even though he said he's going to stay and um, not that he had a huge amount of option to now, but even though he said he's going to stay, the thing is this won't be forgotten by Tottenham fans. You know, at, at Molyneux, 
uh, they they sung his name, chanted one of our own, and that and and showed support. And they'll continue to as well, but it still won't be forgotten. I mean, he's he's been known all along throughout his career as this kind of model professional. He he lives a really simple life, um, a competitive bloke who loves his football, loves NFL, and loves golf, and and. He lives a pretty simple life, um, but has always been known as this kind of model professional, and that's been that's been tarnished really this summer. I think it could quite easily be forgotten, personally, and quite quickly. By who? By, by the fans. By who? I think I think there's a strong chance now that he, he stays at Tottenham the rest of his career. He beats Jimmy. He beats Jimmy Greaves' goal scoring record. He's still England captain for another four or five years. Possibly beats you know beats Wayne Rooney's record. Looks back at his career and goes. And Tottenham fans will see like one of England's greatest strikers who's been a one club man. And they'll say, Oh, remember that time he had the wobble that one summer? Much like Liverpool do. What, what do you think he was? That's will a different see? question. That's a different question. All I'm saying is supporters, I think a lot of them will have some sympathy. They'll look at the way their club has, has developed over the last decade or so and, you know, looked like they were threatening to be regular challengers for the Premier League, for the Champions League. They might be again in a number of years, but he's only his career is his career span. He's 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 saying, I'm not really willing to wait around and see if we can get to that level again. And I think a lot of fans would understand that. So I think this will be forgotten about if he stays at Tottenham and does what he does best, which is score goals. From Kane's point of view, from Kane's point of view, though, I've complete sympathy. Uh, like I, I feel, I have two two things. I feel I feel sympathy for his his position, and I also think he's. He's been made to look a fool because he's he's hired his brother as his agent who agreed a six-year contract and Kane did as well, uh, which was the first mistake and the second mistake is doing so without a, a release clause and he's been made to look a fool. He's been he's tried to take on the club. He had no bargaining power whatsoever, um, and as Tom said, he was probably promised things by Manchester City that haven't uh, haven't materialised. So. I, I feel sympathy for him in that he's 28 and next year, you know, Johnny said last week he still thinks it could happen. It's, it's a short career and he, he wants to win trophies. So he, he can look back in a 10 years' time, whatever, when he's finished. And if he has been a one-club man and he's been a legend for Tottenham, that's a remarkable achievement. He still had an incredible career. But will he look back and say, I could have won the trophies and if it were just for, you know, having a little bit better strategy in my and kind of the planning of my career, I could have done so. Mm, it's an interesting one. Firstly, I think um, I think Harry Kane's brother, you know, I think he gets a bit of unfair um, criticism in all of it just because Unique Sports Management, USM, was sort of Kane's main agent when he signed this deal. And yes, his brother was involved in the discussions, but I think the media and maybe social media a little bit has made out that sort of he is the guy that led the way on that. And after that contract was signed, he did go away and um, sign up with his brother individually. But yeah, I think there was another big agency involved in that deal. So slightly unfair on, on Charlie Kane. Um, but m- my sympathy really is purely from a football perspective for Harry Kane. I don't have much sympathy for him in terms of his contract situation because you got a six-year deal, you signed it, no one forced you to. I don't feel much sympathy for the way that he clearly didn't return to training on time or any of the way it's been handled in terms of PR from himself, but from a pure football perspective, I cannot think of another case of a player of his quality 
playing for a club that really has no chance or a player that hasn't won anything in their career who's as good as him, who plays for a club who really has no chance of, of winning the biggest titles in football. You know, I'm thinking of Alan Shearer. He had already won a Premier League title before he went to Newcastle. Luis Suarez was at Liverpool. And even though they finished second in the Premier League, that even a second place finish wasn't enough. And he ended up going off to Barcelona. I cannot think of another player in English football who is basically the best player in the league and probably doesn't play for one of the best five clubs in the league. I mean, it's it's for me a very unique situation. And that's why I feel desperately sad for Harry Kane because this might have been his sliding doors moment and a massive missed opportunity in terms of his career. And that's the only reason that I feel really sad for him in that regard. He might still get his move next summer or the summer after that, I'm sure he will. Um, but he might not be at a club like Manchester City, which for me has the probably the best squad in European football. Uh, Tom Clark, what do you think about Kane's situation? Do you feel any sympathy? I didn't, but then I heard Gregor speaking and it reminded me of a time on a previous podcast when we'd asked him about his career and things he thinks back on and when those moments when you reflect. And Gregor himself talked about thinking back to those moments, those finals, those moments of triumph, being able to run down to the fans at the end of the pitch. And when you reflect in that, that, that very simple sense on that very like human level, and obviously these kind of um, transfer sagas at the very top level get clouded so much by 250 grand a week, 150 million. Isn't it disgusting? And it is all, it's incredibly grotesque. But if you just think of Harry Kane, the footballer, as we're doing, as you say, Hugh, at the minute, he's got a losing Euros final, a losing Champions League final, and a losing World Cup semi-final. It's got some tough, tough, bitter disappointments. So if you apply the Gregor Robertson wistfully looking out of the window at the end of your career and thinking back to those <laughs> moments, you can, you can feel sorry for him um, in that sense. Because as you say, Hugh, you don't know, you can't guarantee that he'll have those moments if he stays at Tottenham forever. Yes, he will have the records and all that kind of stuff. One club man, legend, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I, I, can't, I, I, I actually started this podcast ready to say, nah, don't feel sorry for him. What are you whinging for? But actually, as Gregor was speaking then, I was reminded of that moment um, that he'd spoken about before. So I do feel a little bit of sympathy on a very human level. Um, it's also worth mentioning, isn't it, that this is a good thing for us neutral fans and as Henry Winter writes this morning for the title race, um, I think one man who will have been particularly happy was Thomas Tuchel when he heard that Harry Kane would not be joining Manchester City. He probably rubbed his hands together and went, yes, here we go. Title's ours, boys. We can do it now. Um, because I think Chelsea, having got Lukaku, as we were talking about on a previous pod, makes them very strong now. So I think I feel a little bit of sympathy for Kane, but selfishly, I'm quite happy from the broader sense as a journalist and as a neutral fan. Good for the league? It's good for Tottenham, who are part of that kind of chasing pack. Because, yeah, there was the, the idea of City, of Kane going there. The, the There was already a feeling of the, the clubs that could spend the money were going to do it. Um, the City, Chelsea, United this summer, and there was going to be this huge divide between between the top the top four again. Uh, and the exciting part was going to be, you know, that the, t the top six as it was before, it's kind of forgotten. But I don't think it'll be like that. And I think Nuno, Nuno is probably the right man to have at this moment in time because he is a good tactical coach. We've seen that 
We've seen that with his wall side and we've seen the encouraging signs early on his Spurs team. Um, just one, one thing I was going to say is that um, my whole point about this, this with Harry Kane and, and fans, it is Tottenham, but it's, it's all fans as well. And, and my point was, as Gregor said, will they will come in five years time, 10 years time, whatever they'll talk about Harry Kane. We will talk about Harry Kane as this striker um, who was, uh, one of the best we've ever seen, but there will always be this footnote on his career now. Whatever happens, there will always be this summer in which we will say, remember when? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think this has happened enough. The note would be so far down <laughs> the ledger. It would be like, you know, right about, yeah, 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 you said you know, yourself, Gregor, that it's there. You said at the, at the very beginning, you said But it it's understandable. A- it would be like, if he hadn't had that, it'd almost be like, does he not, did he not have any ambition? Totally understandable. And I think that most like fair-minded Tottenham fans will agree with that. And I have felt that. And I've, I've voiced that, actually. You, said, I mean, you read underneath your article, Tom, as I did this morning, there's, Many Tottenham fans who are saying that they are, you know, completely un- understanding of Harry Kane's position. He's got three or four years left at the top. Even Spurs fans can acknowledge that probably he's not going to achieve his his uh, his hopes and dreams of football at that football club. Certainly not the way it's looking just now. So I think I think most Spurs fans will understand his position. And I think even looking back, if he stays at Spurs for the rest of his career, they'll look back and think he had one wobble. But can you blame him? Yeah, I mean, you've briefly touched on it there, Gregor, haven't you? That we should probably address the Spurs fans issue before any Tottenham fan listening to this throws their headphones out and launches their phone across the room in anger and fury that, you know, he could still win a trophy if he stays at Spurs for the rest of his career. He could win a couple of trophies. And the thing we know about Harry Kane, as Tom alluded to earlier, is that he's an incredibly determined and dedicated professional. And now he's made this decision like you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him finish top scorer this season. Now that he's back, I mean, you know, we forget that he was top for goals, top for assists last season. Had another unbelievable season that actually I don't really think was fully appreciated. So, you know, let let's not write him off completely in terms of this was his chance. He'll never win anything now because they could. It just won't be the same as winning two or three Premier League titles and a Champions League as he may or may not have done at Manchester City. And he, he may still leave. We should like underline he that. He might he still could, leave. He might he still could leave. leave. If they're, you know, they're talking, there's more briefings this morning about how much he's looking for in a new contract. And he's not going to say a new contract without a release clause. You wouldn't imagine yeah. if he had any sense about him. I've also, there's also been reported he's been fined two weeks wages for the not turning up thing. You know, I don't think the relationship between Harry Kane and Daniel Levy will be, you know, one of great friendship at the moment and we'll see we'll see how that develops Tom are there any um, twists to come in the Harry Kane story I mean I would love it I mean well, I wouldn't love it but okay it would be pretty hilarious if Manchester City did front up 150 million on the final day of the transfer window just to give Spurs no chance to replace Harry Kane you know just you know bite a little bit back after what's gone on so far this this summer um, but also as Gregor just mentioned New contract. Do you see there being some sort of release clause for next summer in this new contract and Harry Kane signing, you know, I don't know, 400 grand a week deal? Yeah. I mean, even though it sounds strange to think about a player who's 
um, desperate to leave, who's been desperate to leave a club to then suddenly sign a new contract. It may sound odd and the kind of quotes that would go alongside it, the announcement would be quite strange or uncomfortable, but it's a, I guess it's a way of getting that gentleman's agreement in writing because you don't make that mistake again. So it gets that agreement in writing again. And also just going back to the very beginning of this, Kane thought that he was going to be allowed to leave because of his relationship so far with Daniel Levy and that he was always told, you know, what we will reward you for what you want, for what you what you do for us. And that was they saw that in after, you know, they'd sign a, a four year deal, a five year deal, come back to him after being winning the golden boot and he'd end up getting a new deal. So he would get rewarded each time. So I can see a, a new contract happening and I think then you would have a situation in place where in the following summer, then the, the proper talks will take place. It'll be in writing this time that it can happen. And there's already the kind of possibility because Tottenham have already received a couple of inquiries about signing Kane next summer. Um, and, and inquiries happen between clubs all the time. It's nothing, it's nothing official, but there's already a, a start. There's already a process that, that can take place to have an exit next summer if it suits all parties, which has been the key to all of this. Should we blame Manchester City for not, you know, bidding the money for a player that they apparently desperately want? I think there should definitely be more blame on... It, it was quite odd, wasn't it, the whole situation where um, you had Guardiola's press conference just before the Community Shield saying Tottenham, you know, Tottenham need to negotiate. Well, if they don't want to, <laughs> to uh, meet a valuation, which is far, far below what they believe Kane is worth and what he is worth when you consider they paid £100 million at Grealish, I think the blame would go towards Manchester City and certainly, certainly I think Harry Kane would be upset by the situation because if I'm Harry Kane and I see Grealish done at £100 million and I find out that they're trying to offer less than that for me and you know that Daniel Levy is the man they're trying to negotiate with, then I think, well, the, the, that's not going to get me out of this football club. And uh, it was all it was all down to Manchester City to get this deal done. It, 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 I don't think it would have mattered whether Harry Kane was still sat on a beach in the Bahamas. Now I don't think it would have mattered. It was down to Manchester City to to get this deal done. Manchester City could move on, though. I think they still need a striker. Uh, reports that Cristiano Ronaldo is being offered to Manchester City. Reportedly, uh, Juventus want 25 million euros for his services. He's got a year left on his deal, 36 years old, of course. City are willing to offer a two-year deal worth just over £15 million a year in salary. Could this move work for Manchester City? I think we would all agree that Ronaldo would score goals in... uh... In Manchester City's team, I think probably I would score goals. In Manchester City's team, um, but it's you know, is he going to be um, the perfect kind of fit, the perfect cog in in Pep Guardiola's machine? You know, from a pressing point of view, I would say no. 
And that means a lot, to, I think, to, to Guardiola, hence why we saw him play without a, a recognised striker for a lot of last season. So um, I'm not sure it fits that well. That doesn't mean it's not going to happen. He's someone who would be, as I say, he would score goals. There's no doubt about that. But uh, it would feel more to me like a, a, a signing made by Manchester City's hierarchy than, than Pep, Pep Guardiola. What do you think, uh, Tom Clark, a former Manchester United player, legend, if you like, going to Manchester City? Oh, I don't really care about that. I'm just more concerned about what a nightmare <laughs> it'd be to get him in your fantasy football team. Think of that. Every single bugger doing fantasy football, desperately trying to get him in the team. It'd be a nightmare. I mean, I really, I'm really struggling with the like fantasy uh, football manager, FIFA style elements of the transfer market this summer. I mean, Harry Kane, yes, there were lots of big sums involved, but it felt like a slightly justified discussion and transfer speculation. All the like Mbappe, Ronaldo, Messi stuff, when we had the Super League and the bleating about clubs being in difficult financial times, it's all a bit grotesque to me. Um, The only point on the Manchester rivalry thing is that Ronaldo had such a brilliant spell at United he will come back to the Premier League, as Gregor says, a completely different player. The guy who stays central, lets the team do work around him, not quite got the same blistering pace. I, I, I really don't want it to happen for lots of reasons. I, it, just, it, it wouldn't be a move that I would get excited by. It would it'd be a move that would make me more grumpy than I already am about the top, top flight and the top clubs in the Premier League. There is one reason to go to Manchester City for many players. It's the manager, Pep Guardiola. Um, his contract goes up to 2023. That would be seven years at the club. So Cristiano Ronaldo, if he did join on a two-year deal, would get to see Pep's a career out at Manchester City, but this news reportedly on a call with some finance people in South America where Pep Guardiola has said um, that he's going to have a break at the end of his current contract and that he wants to manage an international football next should the opportunity, and it probably would, arise. Um, this will come as bad news for Manchester City fans, but I'm not massively surprised by it. What do you think about this situation, Tom Roddy? Is it terrible news for City and will it will it actually happen in truth? The only real surprise is that Pep Guardiola has been here as long as he has. I don't think any of us expected him to stick around in Manchester for so many years when he came after the after the time in Barca at the time in Bayern. The thing is, at least City know about it now and can plan for life after Guardiola because you know, that club has, has revolved around him it, it, for a long time before he even arrived. It was all set up for him to arrive and he did and he's left his mark. And I feel, I will feel, I will feel sorry for the person who has to take over from him, even though it's an absolutely wonderful job. Those are massive shoes to fill. I don't think it's that big a problem, to be perfectly honest. I think whoever replaces Pep Guardiola is going to be a top draw manager. I don't think Manchester City would have it any other way. They've got a squad full of fantastic players. You know, there was a period in time where Roberto Mancini was the greatest thing since sliced bread at Manchester City and Pellegrini, what a manager, what a coach. And now it's Pep. They've gone from strength to strength. So I don't really see... I don't see how they're going to get a better manager than Pep Guardiola, but I don't see how they're going to have a, a weak manager at the club after Pep, as great as he has been. So um, if he does want to leave at the end of seven years, I think that's all right. And for any players 
who are going to sign for Manchester City. Well, who thinks a manager these days stays for, you know, Fergie type years, 10 plus. It rarely happens. So I don't think the players think about it anymore either. But um would be sad news for City's fans. Sad for the Premier League to see his quality of, of coaching go as well. Tom Roddy, I know you've got to leave us now, but um thank you for joining us on the game podcast. I'm gonna persevere with Tom Clark and Gregor Robertson, but you can read Thomas Roddy's piece on Harry Kane in the Times right now. So make sure you're subscribed. Go online, search the times.co.uk forward slash the game. Our thanks to Tom Roddy once again. So here I am persevering, as I say, with Gregor Robertson and Tom Clark. Why are you shaking your head, Tom? It's like persevere. I mean, I do, you know, it's, it's been a tough 18 months for us all, Hugh. I don't really need that kind of like sly dig. Persevere. <laughs> like, I know he's Scottish and I know I'm Northern and I know we can be a bit drab and drowsy and a bit grumpy at times. <laughs> Gregor's a bit sleep deprived from being a new dad. But come on, we're not that bad, are we? Here I am, marching forth with Tom Clark and Gregor <laughs> Robinson for remainder of the podcast. Thank you very much. Um, but I'm going to be the grumpy and drab one, I think, up next, because we're talking about the EFL Cup. My overarching question is really, what's the point? Um, you just see how many other countries across the continent have ditched a third cup competition over the past two decades. They've got one major cup competition. I actually don't think the EFL Cup should be rid of I just don't see why Premier League teams are involved. Um, nine changes, for example, for Newcastle. Can't even remember the last time they won a trophy. Six for Burnley. That's for an all-Premier League tie. West Brom, joint top in the championship. Haven't lost a game as yet. Six debutants, five of them teenagers. They made 11 changes to take on Arsenal, who've had a torrid start to their season. You would have seen that as maybe a winnable game at home as well in front of your fans. If you, if you as a West Bromwich Albion, for example, don't want to take this competition seriously in a winnable match, I mean, well, I don't understand the point of it. I think if a revamped EFL does become five leagues of 20, like they want it to be, 100 clubs, then make it the EFL Cup, the cup for football league teams. That is it. Don't bring Premier League teams into it because ultimately, who wants another cup that's won by Manchester City or Liverpool Anyway, I mean, what well, I don't, I don't, I don't really see the point in it. 
I always thought it would show up, it would give an opportunity to maybe mid-tier teams in the Premier League, championship sides to win themselves a trophy. Now it's the established elite that win it every year and the rest of the clubs don't even bother. So I, I really don't see the point of it unless it becomes a, a, a carp just for the EFL. Can anyone save it, Tom? I can save it, Hugh. I can save it. I've got the, <laughs> I've got the perfect plan. It's funny, we actually, um, I can remember us discussing this, myself and Gregor, a, a while ago. And obviously, there's, a, there's, there's, a, there's, well, there's an added factor, isn't there, when you talk about EFL clubs in that there is the Papa John's Trophy, which is a separate competition, obviously, to the EFL Cup. But when you talk um, about Premier League teams having an issue with the EFL Cup, there are a lot of football league clubs that would say we have a problem with the Papa John's trophy, which for them is like the equivalent. That's where Lincoln rest a lot of players, play some kids. It becomes a bit of a pain in the ass. So you would start by getting rid of that trophy and that competition, which in turn then gives you more time and allows you to incentivize the EFL Cup. I don't think it's a terrible idea to make it just a non-Premier League competition, but I do think there's a different way of maybe incentivizing it where the prize could be a place in Europe, but if you are in Europe that season, you don't compete in it. So it would essentially create a from you know eighth down in the Premier League chance to get into Europe. A chance to get into Europe. You've not you've not you've not in Europe by Premier League places, or you're a top Championship team. Maybe you could sneak into it. Um, but the other thing is, I'd make it north v south the whole way through. <laughs> you're back in the path of John's though. No, but exactly. But there's but there's no simpler gimmick to like incentivize fans. But it's also got a practical thing of where away games on Tuesday nights and in the week it would be an easier journey. You wouldn't be having, you know, a Preston having to go away to Southampton. It would incentivize the fans to go to the games during the week. You'd then have a big semi-final where the northern semi-final is at St. James's or Anfield or Old Trafford, the southern semi-finals at Stamford Bridge, and then they meet. And then you'd have like, you know, I'd be cheering on whoever the Northern team was. Go on, take on the Southern Bastards. You know, I, I don't know whether I can say Southern Bastards, but I've gone for it now. Just showing my true colours. Showing my true colours. Appreciate Al- it. Alienate. Oh, but that's my point. You see, even talking about it, I suddenly started hating you, Hugh, just because I'm like really, you know, passionate about like all the Northern lads. Anyway, that is a bit gimmicky. But I do think that idea of incentivizing it to place in Europe for everyone who's not in Europe that season. And but I think you would start not by getting rid of the AFL Cup, but get rid of the Papa John's trophy. So that then teams in League One are like, okay, it's not just the FA Cup. The EFL Cup is another good opportunity for us to progress, make some money. And you know, you would still have big Premier League teams in it. Newcastle, maybe West Ham if they hadn't qualified for Europe, Southampton. These would still be glamour ties if you got them as a League Two or a League One side. So I think there's you, it does require big change, I would say, but that would be my that would be my plan. What do you reckon? That's not bad. I think the prize is the issue. Yeah, it's a, a big part of the of the issue because I think if you did away with the Papa John's and you made it an EF only cup, you still see a raft of changes. But that, there's another, you know, a bigger conversation about cup competitions in general. That it's because the prize isn't as as great. You know, in the league, you've got promotion, or if you're playing the championship, you've got the riches of the Premier League you're playing for. That's why they're making all these changes. That's why West Brom did it. I, I can better that, though, Hugh. I went to Forest to Brentford Forest Green. Brentford made nine changes, which you wouldn't be that surprised about. Forest Green made six, and they left their top goal scorer, Matty Stevens, on the bench. It was like, yeah, you know, I know Brentford aren't the kind of most illustrious Premier League club, but it was a big game for them. Even they thought, 
I think we're going to take this as an opportunity to rest some players or try some other players. So that's that's what I'm saying. The comp- cup competitions are now seen, particularly in the early rounds, as a chance to to give opportunities to players. And there is a value in that. Like I've always thought when people say, do away with the EFL Cup, I mean my debut in, the, in that competition. Tranmere away, I remember it vividly. And I don't. I think without that, you know, I started in the league the next week. Without that opportunity in the cup competition, uh, you know, I don't know when that next chance would have come. So there is a value in that, but is it enough to keep persevering with this competition and with the kind of apathy in the early rounds? So many changes, basically two reserve lineups going at it in the early rounds. I'm not so sure. I think something has to change. It's not just the early rounds anymore. I mean, it goes quite deep into the competition when it comes to EFL clubs. If they make it through with their second team, great. But they don't. They don't. They don't start playing their first team when they get drawn against a harder side. They they leave their second team in. There's no real desire to go through. It's largely the same in the FA Cup, though. When you're talking about the biggest teams, they do that in the FA Cup now too. In the Papa John's, it's treated like like with disdain by clubs in League One and League Two in the early rounds. You're having to play against you know academy teams now, particularly. So so, and then you get to the semi final, which. And you've got the, the kind of carrot of Wembley dangling before you, and suddenly they go, "Oh, we'll take this seriously." And I've played, in, I've been in two finals of that competition, and it's one of the best moments of your career. So it's there, which is a strange kind of paradox in this whole thing. It's, but there's cup competitions are kind of decaying as well, and that's because so much weight is placed in the on the league. I don't know if there's someone out there with an idea let us know at Time Sport or you can tweet one of us that's better than Tom Clarks who's now pointing at himself your idea wasn't bad but I it's don't it's a great think- idea this season's competition would have looking at the Premier League table Arsenal, Leeds Everton, Villa Newcastle, Wolves Palace Southampton Brighton, Burnley all gunning against the mighty Lincoln and Huddersfield and all these other teams for a place in Europe at the end of it and North v South and then I you know <laughs> you get to the final and me and you would be watching it in a pub, Hugh, and I'd be cheering on, you know, I don't know, like Leeds even against Brighton in the final. And you'd have your Brighton shirt on. I'd be going, come on, Leeds, pretending I was from Yorkshire. It'd be great. See, that's the bit that ruined it for me. I was also, I was all behind you, really, until that point in time. But <laughs> me and you in the pub watching anything, not going for me. Um, <laughs> oh. Let's move on to one of the big stories of the week. Um, West Ham United, top of the league in the Premier League. This is, of course, 4-1 win over Leicester City. And um, before I move to Mikel Antonio's great celebration and uh, in, important goals, David Moyes, before the end of this transfer window, needs some backing, Gregor. Jesse Lingard, Kurt Zuma, possibly. He needs a striker as well, as far as I'm concerned, despite Mikel Antonio's performances, because he's got West Ham just on a real level of confidence now to move forward. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's been interesting hearing Moyes speaking about this, though. I think, you know, Zuma has been rumbling along for quite a long time and his wage demands are an issue. And he wants, he wants to keep that kind of, everyone's in the same sort of boat, the same sort of uh, calibre of player as well that, they have something to prove a little bit. You know, you look at the, the his recruitment has been been superb. You look at Bowen, uh, Ben Rama, is, I think will have a big season this season. He took a while last, uh, to adapt last season. Suchek and Kufal, you know, these there's no big star really. And Antonio is becoming the star, but there is no real star in West Ham's team. And there's a great balance to the team. A bit of flexibility too in the fact that played a lot of last season with a back three. This season, they've gone go to a back force they can get an extra attacker on the pitch and it's, it's shown in the performances so yeah, yes considering they have Europe 
to fight on to to you know as that front to fight on as well. They do he does need backed. There's no question about that. Lingard would be a great addition, another striker. But Antonio was just box office from <laughs> from minute one to <laughs> to the end of his interview, wasn't he? <laughs> on Monday night, he's uh, so full of kind of joy, the joys of playing football, which you don't you know see that often nowadays. And I think it was also great to see. West Ham after 18 months you know there's this whole narrative about West Ham benefited from having an empty stadium because it's not been a happy place and the atmosphere has been been pretty toxic there a lot of the time uh, and Moyes kind of I saw Moyes some of his quotes just kind of lay down the gauntlet, the gauntlet saying if I was a West Ham fan I would be I would be a little bit uh, offended by that so you know he's kind of saying you show your support prove that you're going to be right behind us and you will help us and they certainly did on Monday night and Mikel Antonio's dirty dancing celebration he's eclipsed Paolo Di Canio he's the Premier League's uh, top goal scorer in the Premier League era he's an odd striker in that he said it himself it's not a bad goal record for a right back um, and this is the reason why I say maybe they still need to go to another level you know, a genuine centre forward. Um, he might argue against that. What would you say, Tom? Oh, it's really interesting, isn't it? I think some of the things Gregor talked about there is what Johnny Northcroft talked about a lot in that David Moyes is making it the, his West Ham team. And so any player they bring in, they can't go back to the Felipe Anderson era of bringing in a star player who's not a David Moyes player. And so that is the key thing for them now, between now and the end of the transfer window. Don't overreach and spend on someone who doesn't fit. You're better off keeping what you've got and maybe having to take a hit and drop down, although it doesn't look like they're going to drop down in quality at all. And, you know, you just look at some of the stats. Home wins since the start of last season. They're second with 11 alongside Liverpool and Spurs. Only City have got more. And, like, points gained from losing positions as well. 19. That's third best alongside Liverpool. Only Leicester and Man United have done better. Like, they're very, like, un-West Ham qualities to me as a Premier League fan over the last kind of 15, 20 years. They're not very West Ham to me, those kind of stats. Um, but Antonio, just very briefly on Antonio, I was looking back since the start of the 2018-19 season and I just kind of put in a few stats and I wanted to see how he came paired up next to some of the people he played a similar number of games to. So game started, Antonio, Martial, Lacazette, Jota, all about roughly the same. Antonio goals 29, Martial 31, Lacazette 36, Jota 27. Antonio assists, uh, assists 14, Lacazette 14, Martial 11, Jota 6. Chances created, Antonio 79, Martial 83, Lacazette 77, Jota 70. So, you know, he's in, he's in a bracket there over a long period of time with players at big clubs. You know, Jota joined, joined Liverpool from Wolves you know, he he obviously he's got this great personality where he's very disparaging about himself as oh not bad for a right back. But I mean, those stats suggest he is he's far more than a right back playing up front. You know, this guy's a proper forward, and I think also those stats suggest that he's a bit more than this kind of bustling, hardworking guy who runs the channels as well. I found that quite interesting because he is that player, and West Ham fans adore him for that. But he's a really talented player as well. He's touched for that. His touch for that, I think, it was his, was his third goal, second, second or third goal, where the kind of ball was out, out, you know, outstretched his side, and he cushioned it beautifully in his path and poked it. In. Yeah, he's he's, um, and also I like the way he said he kind of taken ownership of the of the number nine jersey and saying, you know, this this kind of underlines the fact that this is me now. I'm going to take take the mantle for West Ham. So, yeah, you know, really positive start for West Ham. And as I say, that question mark about. 
the fans coming back. <laughs> What's it going to be like this season? I think that has been swept away, really. Did get a message from a mate on Monday night saying David Moyes looks like a future Manchester United manager, which annoys me <laughs> every single time. But he, he did get drawn against Manchester United in the next round of the EFL Cup, West Ham against Man U. So uh, a chance to go back for the first time, maybe with a, a team good enough to beat United and show show what he's got. Um, I just wanted to look ahead to the Premier League this weekend as well before a couple of things to look out for. But there is a massive game coming. Liverpool against Chelsea on Saturday evening at Anfield. Currently second versus third. Doesn't mean much. Both sides with two wins from two so far. But it's a chance for Liverpool, I think, in particular to lay down a marker and show a lot of people that they are going to be in the title race this season and maybe even ahead of Chelsea in terms of who should be favourites right now. And, and maybe just that they're back in particular. How big a game is this, Tom, for Jurgen Klopp's side? It's a huge game for both teams and actually... I try not to get overly carried away at this stage of the season with these big games where people talk about potential title deciders, but we don't know whether it is that yet, but we do know that it's the first real test for two teams that look like they've started really well, look like they've had quite good summers in very different ways. Chelsea have spent big on new players. Liverpool have spent big on signing players to new long-term contracts, solidifying that squad. And, you know, they've got a zip about their play Van Dijk spraying balls out wide, little glimpses of players like Harvey Elliott, Trent Alexander-Arnold looks back to his best. So it'll be really interesting to see how Klopp approaches the game as well, because we make a great deal of about Tuchel's tactical masterstrokes against Pep Guardiola. And this is this is him coming up against the real Liverpool. So it'll be inter- interesting to see whether he goes back three and plays wing backs and goes quite conservative with Rhys James and Aspilicueta. Um and how Klopp looks to counter that because, yeah, I, yeah I, it could well be a game of cat and mouse. I think yeah, we were joking beforehand before we started the pod and uh, Hugh, I think you had a prediction of nil-nil. So I don't know whether that's <laughs> something you, you're willing to stick to uh, uh, during the recording, but it, it could be one of those games, but I hope it'll be a really interesting tussle, yeah. No, there was just part of me when I said nil-nil incoming, what I meant was it'll get built up. And both sides yeah. might be happy, might be happy with a draw by the end of the game, and it might sort of peter out because it's early in the season. Neither manager will want to give too much away. There, of course, is a psychological element of losing a big game and the headlines afterwards. So you imagine if it's level going into the last 20 minutes or so, that maybe both sides will be happy to keep things tight, contain the game a little bit, try and keep a bit of possession, go back and forth, and maybe not create any clear cut goal scoring opportunities, leave happy with a point knowing that, you know, a point away at Anfield or a point at home to Chelsea is a good one. But I think it's also a big game for, and I think you're right to mention it, Tom, it's a big game for Chelsea too, because if they do go to Anfield, Gregor, and win, then I think a lot of people who've already predicted that Chelsea are favourites will say, there you go, they are the real deal. Absolutely. When you were saying that about kind of the KG affairs, you know, that's a possibility. That that just made made me think of recent Liverpool-Man City games. That was often the case. You're right. These are the two kind of contenders and they were, you know, they played out a pretty kind of cat and mouse goalless draw. But if Chelsea, you know, Chelsea are being spoken about, they are on the same level now as as these guys. People are seeing them as above Liverpool and the kind of, as as favourites alongside Manchester City. So I think so, just because of, the kind of momentum that they they built last season. It was just the transformation was remarkable in the second half of last season under Tuchel. The way that they've added, obviously Lukaku, 
And Liverpool last season was a, was kind of fairly traumatic. And as Tom's saying, they're they're tying lots of players down to to long term long term deals. Not really been any kind of major additions. It's been it's about is Van Dijk coming back in the same in the same shape? He's going to have the same influence on this team. You know, have they got someone to replace Wijnaldum in midfield? Is Harvey Elliott going to emerge? Is Curtis Jones going to step up? You know, th- these are the kind of questions. There's still some question marks, I think, about Liverpool, even if they are looking so much stronger and so much, you know, it'd be remarkable if they endured anything like they endured last season. Again, Chelsea, it's hard to see any kind of, any weakness really at the moment. You, you could, some people say they could do another cent and a half, perhaps, but the number of clean sheets that they've, they've had under Tuchel is ridiculous. So, and adding Lukaku, I think I've said it before. I think they are toe to toe with Manchester City as favourites, and that's fair, fair to that's fair to to be the case as well. And if they won, as you say, if they won against Liverpool, that would underline that. Greg has mentioned them both, but regardless of how the match pans out, Lukaku v Van Dijk's going to yeah. be good value, isn't it? When you think back to that <laughs> Arsenal game with Lukaku pinning and rolling poor Pablo Mari, who's probably still having nightmares. I'm looking forward to when the ball comes into his feet first time and he tries to pin Virgil van Dijk, see how that goes. goes uh, that, you know, that'll be a great battle regardless, even if it's nil-nil. It'll be great watching those two go at it. I'm sure we'll reflect on it on Monday as well, but Van Dijk versus Lukaku, the heavyweight battle that Liverpool and Chelsea deserves. Um, what else should we be looking out for very quickly before we go in the Premier League this weekend from your perspective? Tom, I will start with you on, the, on this. Well, Brighton-Everton is an interesting game in terms of two teams that have started quite brightly. I thought Brighton were excellent last weekend. Um, from the bits I saw. I only managed to see the first half, but I thought they played really well. It's great to see Shane Duffy back. I did, that will transfer completely past me by that he'd gone back to Brighton. Um, scored an absolutely brilliant header as well. And as a result, has gone straight into my fantasy football team, probably to get injured and never play again. Devastated, no, by the way, Tom. 14 points left on the bench while Daniel Amati got a big fat zero playing for Leicester against West Ham. Devastated, but Duffy will be in the starting lineup this week. He'll be going straight in. But that, but that that's a really interesting game between two teams that have started brightly. And Norwich at home to Leicester, it's another difficult game for Norwich. But I mean, they, I would hope they can kind of bounce back. They've had a really, really tough start, haven't they? And I don't want them to fall into this pattern of, you've already got people on Twitter saying, well, Norwich, Norwich are going to finish 20th, blah, blah. They're, they're a talented team. And Daniel Fark is a good manager. And I don't want them to kind of just become the Premier League's whipping boys. So maybe we'll see a little surprise against Leicester. Maybe. Gregor? Villa Brentford, I think, with uh, Dean Smith and Thomas Frank, his former assistant, visiting Villa Park. And obviously, Ollie Watkins, another connection there. I think that'll be a good game between two teams who've who've started pretty well, I think. Um, I'm also going to have to look out into another Premier League, the, the Scottish Premiership, at the Old Firm this weekend. Is it going to happen? Well, I think it's got to happen, really. Because Rangers are, you know, they're both playing in Europe, and I think those games are going ahead beforehand. So, yeah, Rangers obviously have had a, a major COVID outbreak without without a lot of players and Steven Gerrard. So um, it's looking like so a you're, you're, des- you're desperate for it to be on. Let's play him. Come on, it'll no, be no, fine. I'm a neutral. I'm absolutely neutral in this podcast. You know that. Um, you're neutral, but, but said Cecil, all that, Cecile will be wearing a Celtic kit for the first time since being born. So yeah, well maybe. Having said all that, and. <laughs> Uh, Postacoglu's era is kind of gaining some ahead of steam. You know, he had a inherited a bit of a shell of a squad, went out of the Champions League qualifiers. It was like you know, everyone was thinking, "Who is this guy?" Basically, you know, he's managing Japan, managing Australia, but he 
I think what have they scored now? Twenty-four goals in the last six games. They they go for it, and he's made eight signings. Uh, Furuhashi is an absolute star striker. So there's some kind of cause for for optimism, and I, you know I think a good title race would be would be a, a you know a good thing this season after after Rangers kind of procession last season. I think mine to look out for just finally Harry Kane to start against Watford and score a hat trick. Um, obviously at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And then I think Tom's point will be right. It will all be forgotten at that point. Um, and then Manchester City taking on Arsenal, of course. But I just think City, if they truly perform and Arsenal don't, that could be a huge nail in Mikel Arteta's coffin. So whatever they do, even if they lose, it has to be in a respectable way. If they go there, as they often do, and get hammered against Manchester City, then... Um, then yeah, that, that you can start writing the script already about the headlines on Monday morning. So we will see what happens this weekend. Loads more for us to look forward to. We'll reflect on it all as we always do on Monday morning. But thank you, Tom Clark. Thank you, Gregor Robertson and to Tom Roddy once again. And for you for listening as well on this week's edition of The Game Podcast. Remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, leave us a review, rate us. And also, of course, make sure you're subscribed to The Times and The Sunday Times for more award-winning journalism across all of your devices. Sign up today. You'll get yourself one month free. Just search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. We'll see you on Monday. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.